Good morning, everyone. You were listening to the podcast, The Leaves of a Victim Nevermore, with Stephen Wilson. I am Stephen Wilson. And this podcast is a form of therapy for myself. This podcast is meant for anyone who identifies as a victim of abuse or addiction. Today's reading is going to be another poem, but this is more of a funeral verse. The poet is Mary Fry. Do not stand in my grave and weep. I am not there. I do not sleep. I am a thousand winds that blow. I am the diamond glints on snow. I am the sun on ripened grain. I am the gentle autumn rain. When you awaken in the morning's hush, I am the swift uplifting rush. Of quiet birds and circled flight, I am the soft stars that shine at night. Do not stand in my grave and cry. I am not there. I did not die. That poem was written by Mary Fry. Do not stand in my grave and weep. Well, today's show is, uh, well, it really has nothing to do with group. I am an adult survivor of childhood sex abuse, and I am in group therapy. Every guy in the group is a victim of childhood sex abuse. And normally this podcast has something to do with group therapy. But this one is about me personally. Um, I guess it's probably been about a week now. But my mom fell. She had been living on her own. And she fell. And she went to the ER. Then she went to the hospital. And it was decided that it is unlikely that she would be able to continue to live on her own. So I had to place her into a nursing home. Now the nursing home, I, I got her a walker and she's going to have physical therapy five times a week. But to say that she is sad about this new change in her life would be a complete understatement. And now that I've had a chance to, to think about what's happened, because the past week had just been helter-skelter. Well, this was really not planned for, although I did make precautions um, for her. This was basically her choice, her decision. Um, back in 2016, she had fallen, and I went through all of that all the paperwork, all the interviews, all the tours of all the possible places to, to put her. And after about two months, I guess, three months, um, at the 11th hour when I had her set up with the place, it was really nice. She decided that 
she felt better because she had fallen behind her senior compound where she lives, behind her unit. And her ankle and knee had started to you know, get better, obviously, and she felt better and she didn't feel the need to go into a nursing home. Or, uh, no, I'm sorry, uh, assisted living. And that was her call. And I was a little pissed because not only had I gone through all of the logistics, and it's not that easy, especially in America. I, I know that in Scandinavia and parts of Europe, it's all easy peasy. But in America, trying to find orchestrated benevolence through Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid, um, things that rhyme with Reagan, it's pretty much all bad. But I dealt with it, and I thought that I dealt with it rather well. I'm going to say that I, I thought I did rather well. Um, we're not from Missouri. And I thought I found her a great place. And so she decided that she didn't want to go in. And I said, okay, fine. But we're going to have to have an arrangement. And the arrangement was is that I get her a system in her unit where it's a, it's a box, I guess it's like an amplifier, mic, stereo thing, whatever. And I did pay to extend that 30 feet outside of her unit. The, once you press the button, she would be able to get hold of... Um, you know, the company, then the company would get hold of the police, the fire department, um, you know, the ambulance, whatever. It's kind of like that commercial you see, um, you know, I've fallen and I can't get up. Um, I contracted the company. I went through all of that. They were very good, highly recommended. And, and that was the deal. And although she had, over the years, she had had times where she was uneven. She was staggering. She gradually lost her eyesight. She became extremely hard of hearing. But her infatuation with remaining independent kept her the whole time, no matter what happened to her. And she did fall. But this time around, the girl that was delivering her medication was the one that found her on the floor. Now, obviously, she had hurt her head because she had lost track of time. Depending on, you know, what person she was talking to, she was on the ground from anywhere from 4 to 15 hours. Nobody really knows. Her legs are all banged up. So is her shoulder. And the thing is, is that I got pissed. I know that sounds, that appears to be a natural response, but I didn't get pissed for the reason you're probably thinking about right now. I got pissed because she didn't use the system that I paid for, that I contracted. I asked her, where the fuck is your button? The one that you wear around your neck. Where is it? 
And at first she didn't know what I was talking about. Then she said she couldn't hear me, couldn't understand. And then she said that she didn't like it because it rubbed the back of her neck. No. You know, I, I try to give people a wide berth. I do. And I know that she's my mother. But I have to tell you that at that very moment, I just wanted to, I wanted to put her head through the wall. I know that's fucked up, but that's the way that I felt. Because just a month prior to this last one, she was out in the front yard fucking around with the dog. And she fell and then she rolled into a ditch. And again, somebody came in and, and, you know, helped her out. And she was, you know, disappointed. She was angry. She was upset. Um, she was doing something with the dog. I don't know if the dog tripped her or what. But she was in the ditch. And again, she didn't know exactly how long she had been there. But the radius of the speaker, the button, would have covered that part of the compound. Once again, if she had just pressed the fucking button, she would have had help within three to five minutes. And I know this past week has been all helter-skelter, tilt-a-whirl. I don't even know what day it is right now. I haven't been sleeping. I've been sober. And that's depressing. But the thing is, is that uh, our relationship has always been a little bit difficult. And that's because that, uh, for the most part, we're the same person. It is true that we have the, you know, the same physical appearance. I'm much taller, of course. And Well, the fact is, is that we're just alike. And in this time, in this past week, dealing with the people around her in her life, and they keep talking about what a saint she is, and she's so wonderful, and they're so sorry about what she's going through. And the thing is, is that I really know her. I really know her. And I don't glaze over. I'm not afraid of the truth. At least I don't think I am. But she too lived a double life in her own way, just like me. She was a junkie, just like me. She is an addict. Right now, well, rather past, I don't know, 10 years maybe, 12 years, she's all jacked up on opioids, pain medication. doesn't really matter what drug it is, does it? You're a junkie. 
the definition of addiction is the fact if you were to take that one thing and remove it from your life, what would happen to your life? What would happen to your day? What would happen to your sleeping habit? What happen? What would happen if it was removed? And she is also extremely selfish. And these people that think they know her because they've been around her, they see her out with the dog and they see the flowers that I planted. And of course, then she tells them the story about Marie, my sister. I'm not gonna bring that up anymore, but it always get people to blindly sympathize with her. She knows it and she uses it. It's pathetic and I hate her for it. I don't like the idea that she uses Marie like that. But she's in the nursing home and she is cognitive, cognitively aware. She knows where she is. Two days ago I took her out to lunch. There was a deli there. But her blindness and her deafness, the main thing is, no matter what happens, she wants you to stop whatever you're doing and her dress her very need right now. I've always had a problem with people that have no patience. Waiting isn't natural, it is an art form. And I respect that, just like I do ballet or watercolor. It's an art form, and if you can do it, I respect you for it, but if you can't, I hit you for it, and I don't give a shit who you are. I'm talking about my own mom, but that's the truth. When I went through all of those tours and all those interviews, and this is a brand new thing, we were on the, I was on the clock, the care manager at the hospital said, you know, she's ready to be discharged whenever, you're, whenever you find a place. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll work as fast as I can. She kept saying, where the hell are you? And you know, it, and it had hit her when she became aware of what was happening, that what was going to happen next was that she's not going back home. Something is wrong with her left leg. She needs physical therapy. I got her a walker. It's got a 400 pound, um, I think it's 400 pound load bearing. It's got an extra wide seat. It wasn't cheap, but that's exactly that's what she wanted. And the thing is, is that every day that went by, no matter what I did, it wasn't good enough. I knew that she would be angry. And then she would be sad. And again, she would talk about killing herself. Now she was just doing it for attention. But she would talk about suicide as she did after Marie's death.
and she can play it. Let's not make any bones about that. She can play it with the best of them. She's never actually got an Oscar, but she could. And the thing is, is that I, today I, I, I had to step away. There are a million things that I need to do. But today I, I'm talking to you because I can't go to group. I'm in a different city. I'm far away from whatever I knew. You see, I've been through this once with my father. And the thing is, is that I'm not sure I can do it again. I think Dad and Marie, they took whatever, whatever you need to be a human being in those times with, that are really tough, whatever that characteristic may be. I think I'm running on empty. because I don't feel anything. And these people around now, they, they keep talking about what she once was and what a great neighbor she was and all that. And I, I have to accept the fact, I'm not gonna argue with them. There's no reason to argue with them, but they can't comprehend our dynamic. The, the, the truth is, is that there was a reason that my mom and Marie didn't get along, they didn't talk. That's part of the reason that she's so angry that Marie is dead. She had a lot of things that she needed to say. Well, you can go ahead and talk to a headstone. It's not gonna talk back. And if it does, well then, God bless you. but they don't know her. They think they do. And because people think that dignity at the end of your life is something that everybody deserves. The thing is, is that if you really calculate it, if it is true that you need balance in the scale of life, I have to tell you right now, my mom's scale is out of balance. And I don't think there's anything that's gonna put it in balance because they don't know her. They didn't know that Marie and mom didn't get along. They would go years without talking. And yet when she tells them the story, it sounds, the listener infers that, well, they must have had a great relationship. They must have been very loving and caring and they must have been a great mother-daughter combination. Well, that's not true. And I'm trying to maintain the illusion to these people that yes, that woman over there is a great human being, but that's not real. And now that I sit here, I wonder if I'm even close to being a good son. I know that I'm a shit person but you break it down into little subcategories when you start dealing with the things in, in life that really matter. We're not talking about the cream and the puff. We're not talking about the window dressing. We're talking about the things that really matter, the family ties. 
what happens when things don't go well. Well, I'm doing all the things that a son should do. I'm, I'm performing my own due diligence. And everybody is really happy that I'm there to do these things for her. Everybody seems to be enamored with my own work ethic, bringing in her clothes and marking it with her name and, and filling out all the forms and, and dutifully putting her stuff in the closet and, and you know, preparing to do her laundry, and taking her out to lunch, bringing in her snacks. And the thing is, is that the people in there in that nursing home, it's a very nice nursing home, it's not the best one, but people were not knocking themselves out to try to find her, is that the people that are already there, they know they've been shelved. And they know it. And it doesn't matter why. So instead of being concerned about being a good son, someone should try to, uh, you know, possibly begin the conversation, how do, you, how do you get to a place where you are a good old person? Because everybody thinks they're going to die like a champ. Everybody. But the truth is, is that Unless you get a thunderstruck, heart attack, aneurysm, stroke, car accident, gunfire. If the reaper's at the door and they're knocking and you've got long waits, you've got a long little journey to that door, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be tugging on that guy's robe and asking, one more day, bud. Can I just have one more day? It doesn't matter that I need 50 people waiting on me hand and foot. I just want one more day. I deserve dignity. I deserve to be treated like a human. Why? Because you're dying? Because you're old? Young people die. And everybody wants to brag about how advanced we are. As a human species, we're all this technopoly. Lean on the machine. Press a button, all better. Scan them, all better. Clone them, all better. Blood, plasma, organ tissue, all better. But how does it play out? Once again, I'm seeing it. She is already talking about what life is going to be like after she gets out. Now, they're going to go through an assessment on 30, 60, and 90 days, respectively. She has to, sign, she has to get signed off on the walker. Now, she was in a wheelchair. I got her the walker. She's using the walker, but there's something wrong with her left leg. There is muscular atrophy in her calf. There's something going on with her ankle. And there seems to be a little bit of blood circulation problem in her hip because her toes are a little bit discolored. And for some reason, 
It seems to be that when you're at the end of your life or when you get to a certain age, it's okay to lie to people. Nobody wants to admit that they gave birth to a loser. Nobody wants to admit that their kid, they're going to be in the basement at 32 in their underwear playing Atari. The neighbor's kid going to medical school, your kid going to county. Nobody wants to admit that they gave birth to a, a weak link. But the thing is, is that old age, and you, you can stay biblical if you wish to, because if you look at the Old Testament, if you do get into such things, dying is the punishment that God gave Adam and Eve for the crime. You get to grow old, you get sick, you die. Gehenna, hell. There is no fire and brimstone. That's the New Testament. The devil, hell, it all changes. But what happens when you grow old? When you used to be independent, now you need help going to the bathroom. You used to be independent, now you need help putting on socks. You can't wipe your own ass. You see, if it is true that you need to be a good sheetrocker, a good teacher, a good salesman, uh, a good executive, a good uncle, a good son, you also need to be a good old person. Because what exactly are you doing outside of complaining that you're old and you can't do these things? Yes, it's true, you need help. But what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to ignore that she has been a cunt my entire life? Marie was not the only one that did not talk to her. And yet today is a new day. And I know there is tons to do but I don't want to do it. I will always be a prick. And even though I may appear to be a good son, don't let that fool you. Okay. I don't know if I'm going to... I don't know what I'm going to do with this, but you've been listening to the podcast, The Leaves of a Victim Nevermore with Stephen Wilson. I am Stephen Wilson, and I say to you, be a blessing, and may you find serenity.